Podcast. I'm your host, Milton Young, and today we're with a very special guest, Andro. Andro, what's good? Um, so actually, first of all, I want to say thank you to, to you, Milton, for inviting me to your show. I want to say hi to your audience. I believe they are always very excited to hear everything that you have to share with your with your guests. So it's a pleasure for me to be here. And, and, and what is good for me is that I am very actually connected to a topic that is called self-respect. And basically, I am waking up every single day believing in the idea that the perception I have of myself can improve my day like if I, I if i know perfectly like if i wake up one day with a with a sense that i am guilty or if i am a bad person or or something wrong about me i know that that day is not going to go well so what is good is that i know i have the power to shift the outcome of my day by just by improving the perception of myself so that's what is good that is very good that's something that i have to um get better at today that happened to me actually i woke up this morning um, and I was kind of in a funk and the day started out that way in a funk yes. until I, until I straightened myself out and I was like, all right, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> I feel uh, you. Yes, that happens. So you must, you day. must believe very strong in, um, the, the positive self-talk. Thing. Absolutely. Yes. Okay. Yes, yes, absolutely. And actually I am, I consider, I consider myself, besides being a musician, I consider myself to be a social artist. So just to, just to, to explain what is that. So basically social artists are people who use creative skills uh, to work with people, organizations in their community to affect change. So basically like while a traditional artist uses their creative skills to express their take on the world, a social artist, uh, artist puts their skills to use to help promote and improve communities. So basically that's what I do. Like I try to, one of my dreams is to help improve social living. So, and, and I know the only way I can do that is by, improving the perception of myself that's where everything happens and 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 that's why i'm a big promoter uh, like promoter of self-respect uh, and and particularly uh, as as uh, and actually i want to share this with your audience i am a, a child survivor of domestic violence and 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 i know self-esteem was a it's been a big issue for me uh, and for the world. I know it's one of the main issues uh, for everyone okay, out there. Exactly. And self-respect basically is um, that concept of allowing you to be who you are, but through the lens of yourself. So basically, in other words, is allowing yourself to feel what you have to feel without any judgment and and not adding the guilt or adding any extra layer of pressure to yourself. So in, in other words, is paying attention to yourself uh, on a daily basis and allowing yourself to be. Even if you make mistakes, allowing yourself to make mistakes. So that relationship, the one with yourself is the most important relationship in the world. And the problem is that there's nothing out there that is reminding us to do that. We are always very um, more triggered to project things and to see things in social media, websites, internet, friends, Zoom, whatever. And we're always basically projecting what is going on inside of us through our eyes, but we're not actually paying attention to what is going on in ourselves. And particularly, we are very judgmental and critical with ourselves. We're very, sometimes very bad with ourselves and like very violent with ourselves. So all of that I learned because as a, as a child that survived domestic violence, what you see every day is violence, basically, where you see horrible things happening in your household. So basically, your self-esteem is so destroyed in so many ways that you think that that self-destruction uh, self-destructive habits and mindsets and thoughts and uh, behavior is normal. And you think that's, that's a way to, you know, that's normal. Uh, so destroying yourself is the way to go. So that's how I thought it was life, you know, and I did that uh, until I realized that I was just beating up myself. I was just punching myself internally every single day so hard that I just realized that no one was coming to rescue me. Like I realized like there's no one there that is going to show up to save me. Like it's just myself. And of course, I believe in God and, and I'm a huge believer of God. So that's what God told us. He's telling us like you, I'm inside of you telling you and talking to you, reminding you, hey, love yourself love yourself in a very good way like in and, and it's hard to do that and so basically that's why i see this as my goal in life as an artist to to talk and promote topics like self-respect mm -hmm. so what how did you learn to love yourself more and what were some of the steps that you took to improve that in yourself yeah that's a great question so i think uh first of all i 
I start asking my uh, this question. I, I start noticing that uh, some of the things that are, some of the things that makes human different from animals is that we are aware. Uh, we're just aware about things. But the difference, the next layer of, of, of something that I think is an advantage, of course, for us, uh, is that we're aware about our existence. So we are aware of, that we are alive. We're aware that we exist. We're aware that we have thoughts. We have, we, we, we're aware that we're humans. Like we're, we're aware of, our, of ourselves. So that's something that, that animals don't have. And, 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 and of course, that awareness brings a lot of pressure somehow. And, and you don't, there's no school that like, you, like you don't go to public schools or ele elementary school with a teacher telling you, okay, guys, uh, let's learn today how to read our mind or, you know, or let's learn, learn how to deal with our emotions or let's learn how to, like, like there's no education. There's no awareness. Like there's no way someone is going to teach you how to deal with yourself. So there's no school. And that's the most difficult part because there's no school and everyone is so, in so individual, so unique, so amazing that the only person that can master yourself is yourself. So one of the things that I started noticing is that I was having these violent thoughts every single day and, and behavior. Of course, um, what happens, for example, when you are a survivor what of domestic violence? What age were you? What age were you talking about? Ah, that's a great question. So, so my mother divorced from my father when I was six. So from the from six to ten, I became very very um, unstable, um, in school. You know, mentally I was not happening, and and my mother. Uh, and, and I shared this previously with, with uh, Lovern from the Love Life uh, Foundation. And <laughs> I want to say hi to Lovern as well. And, but I, I want to say that I, I, I learned, I, I was just not happening. I, I was just very unstable. I was in school, not behaving really well, not doing good in school. And, and I know people thought about, you know, this kid is just a, a bully or, the, or this kid is just a, an issue for us. So people started excluding me. Teachers didn't want to face me or like oh, nobody was taking care of me until my mother one day had a dream and she saw me. And now that we're having these issues with police, you know, like police officers killing uh, black people and Latinos and, and, and minorities, she saw me with uh, in, in, like, I don't know, in a very bad scene where I was being handcuffed or something in, in with like, like, like somehow the police was chasing me or something. So it was something related with police. And that dream was very vivid. That was so real for her that she realized that she needed to do something with me. She needed to help me. Like it was, uh, as I mentioned, I believe in God. So I believe God gave her that dream so she could do something. And what she did as a doctor, she's, uh, she does liver transplantation and she realized that the best thing to do, like to deal with this, it was with a psychiatry. Like, like she needed to bring me with a with an expert, uh, with an expert of, of, of child psyche somehow. Like, so she brought me with this doctor, a psychiatrist, professional, amazing, probably the best ones in the country. And, but, but nobody knew that at that time, like uh, he was just starting his career wow. and, and she brought me with him and he, taught me basically in the, from day one, he asked me, and I shared this before about, and he asked me this question. He said, you know, I give you the option of staying here if you want or not, if you don't want, but I'm going to ask you one question. If you answer yes, you stay. If you answer no, you can leave and you can go and play with your friends or do whatever you want. And you don't have to be here. And he asked me, do you want to improve? He's, well, well, that was one of the, his questions. Do you really want to improve? And then are you aware that the only way to improve is by being responsible? of everything that is going on in your life. Being you responsible, it's not about being a victim, it's actually removing that victim and becoming you the responsible. Wow, that's very powerful. That was a that's tough genius. one, that was a tough yeah. one. And I, was, <laughs> and I was just 10 years old, 10 years old, and I was just there and so aware because at the age of six, I was in court testifying against my father for domestic violence. So I remember perfectly that scene being in court in front like, by myself with all these attorneys and you yeah. know all this craziness and that that woke me up somehow like at the age of six i was thinking as, as as a kid of 15 like i don't know i was i needed to mature so fast just because the pressure was so high so at the age of 10 i was thinking like as a as a 18 year old person or something i was very i think very mature yeah, at that time i was mature. aware very aware about my um, bad behavior you know what's interesting when you're when you go through a divorce right and the yeah. father ends up leaving it's amazing how you feel as a young man how you have to grow up and step up into that figure and you feel yes. like you became an adult a lot earlier 
than yes. you were supposed to. So I think that's one of the things you're, you're saying, right? That's how you felt. Exactly. Okay. You're completely right. Exactly. That's exactly what happened to me. Suddenly we didn't have a father and, and I, I was the only man in the house. I had, I had a twin sister and my mother. And of course we were all very damaged psychologically, physically, mentally. Um, you know, it was bad. It was, yeah. and, and, and I can say that when I, I knew I was suffering, I knew I was having a tough time. So when my psychiatrist asked me those questions, I said to him, yes, I want to stay here. I want to improve and I want to be responsible. And, and in that time, that, and the rest is history. I can say that I stayed 15 years in therapy, uh, 15 years. Like it took me 15 years to remove or to, or to, to overcome what my father did in six years with, uh, with us somehow. And, and, and you I just made a very good adjustment there. You made a very good adjustment. I want people listening to realize what you just did. You said um, it took 15 years to remove, right? Yeah. And then you went back and you corrected yourself exactly. because you're true. You can never really remove it. It's correct. <laughs> never. <laughs> never. <laughs> you don't remove that anything. Like it's just basically yeah. you learn how to defree. Basically what I did in 15 years was to, to separate the, like, you know, when you're a child, the only thing, the way you learn things is through imitation. That's how we learn languages. That's how we learn how to speak, how to move accents. That's why, like, that's how we learn is through imitating our, our parents. So when you're a child, you imitate everything, the good and the bad. And because in my household, particularly this happens a lot with domestic, in households where, where there's domestic violence, you imitate whoever is running, like normally boys connect with the father, the girls with the mother somehow. Yeah. And or whoever is doing that, bad or, or having that bad behavior. So in my case was, I connected with my father. So I thought that was the way to be. I thought that was who I was, like the way he was talking, speaking, behaving, hating women, like all of that stuff. I thought that was me. So I, it took me 15 years to realize, like to just understand, thought by thought, basically, through the help of my psychiatrist, uh, through psychoanalysis, to help me clarify who I was, like what was me and what was like, he was actually helping me through every single situation in my life that was going on to tell me, you know, Alejandro, this, this is not you. This is your father. This is you. Okay. Uh, so you say goodbye to this part of you. That is not you. So basically he was trying to, as external person, trying to help me see what it was, who I was. Basically I, I, I was so connected to the behavior of my father that I thought I was my father. So I was behaving in that way, uh, violent, aggressive. And, and that's why, as you mentioned, I, I can never, I, I'm never going to remove what happened, but I was able to be, I was able to, to understand the difference from who I was and my father. And, and, and it took me 15 years to understand that I am not my father and we are not our parents. And that's the most difficult thing to understand. We are not them. And, and we are our, our own version of ourselves. Like we're unique. We have our own drive. Like we have our own mission in this world, our own purpose and, and, and removing that connection, uh, it's important in every human life. Like it's important to understand the difference from, okay, those are my parents. Those, they have a specific values, beliefs, uh, control, rules. And, and that's what self-respect is. Like what self-respect means is you have two options. Do you want to please the world and behave according to other people's decisions? Or you want to give yourself the chance of living by by following you, by following who you are. And normally we, we do the opposite. We, we tend to follow the society. We tend to behave like them, dress like whoever is dressed, you know, we dress, we speak, we talk like our society. So we're not respecting ourselves most of the time. We're not giving our, the chance to us to be who we are and to discover that. So basically that's what gave me those in that therapy, 15 years of just realizing that that was not me and this is me. And and that's how I discovered my love for music. Uh, uh, when I was in the role of being my father, with his mask of being my father, I hated music. I hated it so much. I, I, I you know, I couldn't. Your father hated it as well, or so much. He hated it so much. And and let me tell you on, and this is a real real story. Uh, and it was tough. It was tough because it took me twenty four years after I testified against him. Uh, to see him again. So he was, I was 30 years old and let me tell you exactly the date. I think it was in, 
May, oh, let me tell you exactly how it, uh, yes, it was in May 2nd of 2016, at the age of 30, uh, I met with my father for the first time after testifying against him for domestic violence. And, and it took me 24 years to, to be able to talk to him face to face again. So to my surprise, that fairy tale that I built for years about the beautiful re-encounter uh, was very far from pretty, to be honest. I was actually very amazed by his toxic mindset, his hate for women. And he was very unaware about the damage he did to us. So I, know, I knew something was off, you know, I knew that like, wow, like, and so it, it takes courage to stand up to a bully, you know, it's, it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's very hard. And, and I survived because my mother, of my mother's courage to face my father. Uh, but, but then now that I'm 35 and I survive all of that, and I'm in a different world now, I'm asking, okay, but how many children and women are still living in those toxic households without a way out? Like, not everyone has the, the, the got like the strength to face a bully. Like, and, and not, like, it's very, 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 very hard. And I saw my mother facing not only him, but facing my, her family, her family, her society. She divorced when in the 90s, in 1994, 1993 or something like that. And in that time in Mexico, as a very Catholic country, particularly my city, Monterrey, divorce, like divorce was a, 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 like, it was the kind of the worst thing you can imagine. Like every single member of my family was against that. Uh, she asked for help with her uncles and everybody was just saying, you know, I, I don't know, you shouldn't divorce. You know, you got married with, in God's eyes, you should, you should take care of your husband. You know, you should keep going. But of course she knew that that was not the way to, like she couldn't continue. And so she basically, it was a very hard thing for her. And that's why she's my superhero. Um, but this is one of the reasons why um, when I say that I was having the mask of my father is that in that meeting uh, at the age of 30, when I told him the first time who I was, he didn't know whether I was a musician or anything. He, he disappeared basically for 24 years. So he didn't know anything about my life. Um, when I told him that I was a musician and I graduated from Berklee College of Music and I was living in Boston and all of congratulations. that. Congratulations. Yes. That is you. That's tremendous. Yes. Thank I you. I recognize you for that. Congratulations. Yeah. Continue, thank you. Please. Thank you. And the first thing he told me is, you know, I, like, I wouldn't allow you to do that. Like, I wouldn't never allow you to do music. And, and I said, why? He said, because there's no future in music. And, and anyways, you're like, 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 mm, your mother sings horrible. Like she, like, like he was telling me, like, if you got any talent, it's, it's because of me. <laughs> so I was like, what, the, what is happening here? And I was extremely impressed by, by his, like immediately in that instant, I realized like my mother saved my life. Like I would never be able to be who I am today, who myself with him in my life. Never. He was a huge wall uh, getting in my way of my dreams, getting in my way of who I am, who I'm, I am. And, and sometimes as parents, we're not aware about that, that our kids, they have their own, their own path, their own purpose, their own, you know, destination somehow. Like, <laughs> yeah. And, and he was basically a roadblock. And when I saw him immediately in that instant, that phrase, when he told me, you know, I would never allow you to do music and never, like, I, I don't support that. I immediately felt like, Thank you, God. Thank you, Mother, for removing him from my life. And we had that dinner that day, and I said to him, "Thank you. I forgive you. I, 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 I forgive you. I, it took me all these years to, you know, recover from what you did to us. And I know you are not guilty. I know you are. You were also the victim of domestic violence in your house. Wow. Uh, and I know it's. You're, this is a generational toxic type of." of behavior in our, in, in our, in our culture. So I, I know you are not guilty. I know you are innocent and I know your mother didn't treat you well. Uh, and I know your father also didn't treat you well. And I know, I know, you know, and, and he was coming from a farm. So basically, so it was, um, so I know it's not your fault. So I forgive you. And he just actually, you know, that happened. We, I don't know if he understood what I was saying I, for him was yeah. just, it was more for me than maybe it for him. For you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and then he ended up, uh, Yeah, uh, uh, saying goodbye and we say goodbye. And I immediately told him, you know, I think this is going to be the last time we're going to talk. That's it. 
that is over. I, 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 don't, I don't need any more of you here in my life. It's gone. Like, like for me, it was clear that that was my moment to say, to see him and realize, you know, I can't have this toxic mindset around my kids, around my wife. Like I can't have you in my life anymore. Like I can, I'm not going to allow you to be here with me with that mindset. Uh, and who, you know, like, like, uh, but I want to still praying for you, uh, loving you from afar in, 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 but it's better like this. And I that's know. it. Mm -hmm. I think that's, a, that's really powerful in the sense that everything that you're saying, you seem 100% convicted when you, in your forgiveness and your love for him mm -hmm. and realizing the impact that he had on you and the potential impact he had on your family. Um, how did you develop that to really mean what you're saying to them? Because there's a lot of people now that they look at somebody that's abused them or impacting their, their life negative. And there's that part where everyone says, you have to forgive so you can, but it feels like they're just going through the motion. You seem committed to it and you understand and you really do love your father and you really do um, understand that this was something that he was subjected to. And the fact that we imitate, that he was literally just imitating what he was exposed to. And, the fact that you were able to realize that he's so damaged to the point that he doesn't even realize how damaged he is. Yeah. Um, yeah. How did you, how did you develop that? Was that part of the therapy or was that part of you just finding yourself? Yeah, this is a fantastic question. So I, I, I can say that uh, the secret answer for me was uh, the family tree. So basically what I did was, it was very important for me to understand his point of view. I think that's part of empathy. I think empathy is about... Yeah putting yourself in the shoes of the other person and, and understanding that there's always two sides of the story. And I know the only, the, the only story I heard was the, my mother's story. And, and that's what the one that I saw, because of course he lost our custody. So he couldn't be with us anymore. So I never saw him again after that. But I, I knew that there was another side of the story. So I asked for that side of the story. And I also researched uh, for all these years uh, about that life. And, and then I learned a lot about the crazy things that happened to him. And crazy things that happened in his family and and as i mentioned he was the first one in his family and his whole farm like he was living in a very like his father was basically his career was about not even career like he he was in charge of of um of farming and, and taking care of uh, of cultivating i don't even know i don't even know how to say that but it's like uh, basically he was planting orange orange trees like okay. just oranges picking up oranges and they were selling oranges in the city and that's how they were surviving and they were farmers poor 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 like i'm talking about the lowest or uh, the, the poor Poverty and extreme big, level. That's a big portion of the, of the story, too. That's yes, a very big portion of the story. Exactly. Yeah. And, and my father was the first one in his whole town, village. So I don't even know, that farm that was able to have college education. The wow. first one. The first one. That's how he met my mother in college. And, and he was an enge electrical engineer. And, wow. and, and, and that was, I wasn't, I, that wasn't, I wanted to clap for that. Like, I wanted to tell him, oh. hey, congratulations. Like, you did what nobody ever did in your house, in, in your family, in your town. Yeah. And, and I remember perfectly that that village uh, or that farm. It was, you know, like, I don't know, 100 people there living. I don't know how many, 200. And it was so small that that when you live in very, like we're talking about third world country, like this is Mexico, a country that have no education. Like the idea of college is not an option in, in half of the country or a lot of people in my country. And... And you're talking about something that we call ejidos. In Spanish, ejidos means this is the, the places where the farmers and very poor people live. And they survive through their own resources. For example, they were eating the, the eggs from their own chickens. Like I remember in the morning, like, like one day when I was a child, I remember perfectly, I was five years old, we were there and we were collecting eggs and hunting the chickens so we can get the eggs so just to have breakfast. Oh. And so that was the level, like it's not like you go into the store and the star market or whatever and just, or Target or I don't know, and get eggs. Like in this case, you need to hunt the chicken. Like, <laughs> You have to have a strategy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. It's so fun to laugh at that now, right? But when you were watching them, you were so serious. <laughs> I know, I know. so funny. Oh I know, and and actually that was the way you like that, that. That's how they were eating, and they, they didn't have, for example, they didn't have bathrooms. They they, they were having holes, 
you know, and, 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 and they were putting something that we call cal, that there is like a specific like powder, white powder, just to kill the, the smell. And, and they didn't have like, like water like us that we have, you know, water, like, like running water. Like they used to have this something that is called norias. I don't know how this dwells. I think dwells. I don't know how to like, like you, like these holes where you have to get water. They used to take a shower in the river. Like, like this was, I'm talking about poverty in, in many ways. Like yeah. I remember how they were saving that big pork just for for christmas so the whole family could eat from that fat pork you know like and 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 the whole ritual about killing it so it was it was like like a, a, a very folkloric kind of experience in many ways but at the same time the mindset in 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 that environment where no one has not even not even high school like some of them i think they made it until third grade maybe maximum uh, and that's it so like like when you live in an environment where you are based uh, like everything your education was based in stories everything they were he was telling me was stories about about things in the in the farm and and of course when you live in an isolated farm in the mountain like that like in a the mountain there in north of mexico you have all these like, thoughts about crazy stuff like they were like he was telling me even when i met him when i was 30 he was telling me things about stories about that farm that I was like, what? This is like, like a fairy tale. But then I realized when he was telling me these stories about ghosts and ovnis and, and, oh, and aliens. And, yeah. and, and I was like, what? The, like, are you really? And, 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 or maybe it's real for them. Like, and, and I believe maybe they, they have, uh, they're exposed to things that we're not exposed to in the city. But I believe things like that. So when I realized that he was like, you know, you need to understand everything from the other person to realize that all of us were innocent. We're all innocent. Always. We are born innocent. And and it's just the circumstances and that happened to us. And and it was unfortunately he was raised in that environment and with a with a family that it was not very educated in a family that was very judgmental in a family that was very abusive and he was very talented in sports he was a baseball player and actually the san diego padres uh, from the major oh. leagues baseball came to mexico to that farm to to recruit him when he was 16 years old and because he was minor like a minor he needed the family needed to sign the contract and they didn't know how to read so they didn't sign. So all his life, even that day that I met him, he's been craving for that opportunity that he missed of going to the Major League Baseball. He was a top like play player. So he missed that opportunity to leave that town. He wanted to leave that toxic culture since that since baby, I believe. So so he always blamed his family for never giving him that opportunity. So so basically. I, I, I was, you know, when you understand the story, when you understand what is going on around them is when you realize like, you know, this is not their fault. Like he was just, he didn't have the psychiatry. He didn't have the resources that I had when I was a child. He didn't have a mother like mine, that he was a superhero, that he was a doctor, super educated, super amazing to help him uh, deal with that main mindset. In, in, instead, he got a very abusive family. And, and what he did was sort of replicate that. And, and in those farms, there's a lot of alcohol. Uh, um, he was an alcoholic. So he's, so alcohol is part of their life, is what they do every day. They drink and drink and drink. Yeah. They get drunk every day. And when you're, when you're drunk, you got, you got all, your, all your demons go out. Like, and so he was very jealous in person. So when you have jealousy in combination with alcohol and then you become so possessive with your women's or I don't know how they and they start punching women and and there is a cycle of bad stuff that happens so it's like and I know I'm, I'm going very deep but but I can say that the only like just to answer your question it's always the most important way to forgive someone is to understand the other person's story and, and and understand it deeply to go there and understand every single aspect if you have to ask questions about their people around like friends family whoever uh, and understand why they behave the way they behave is when you realize like okay they didn't have the chance opportunities that i had and 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 they're innocent like like he just basically he's not even aware that he ha is having the mask of his his family or his yeah. father or mother i don't know he's, yeah. he's not himself i i believe he's he doesn't even know who he is i, I don't even know if he's aware about that he hasn't that he's different from them you don't know i think it's true i think the one thing that i noticed in my culture i'm jamaican 
Mm-hmm. And I feel that once one culture, one generation, or one person in that family has had something stolen from them because of a responsibility they had with family or something, or mm-hmm. in your, your your father's case, um, that dream of playing major league, right? Yeah. Um, that was stolen from him, and it was stolen based on circumstance. So I feel mm-hmm. like they feel that based on circumstance that they should be stealing dreams from us as well, you know, because, well, I went through that, I suffered it, and I'm okay, so you'll be okay too. Exactly, uh, exactly. And that's so, to me, I I suffer, I I, I struggle with that because I I say to myself, I know how that made you feel, right? That made you feel terrible and you still talk about it to this day and you're much older now, (laughs) you know, 20, 30 years have passed and you're still feeling about that. Why would you pass it on to somebody else? Correct. And, you know, when I think about that, it's like, yeah, because you're overthinking it because you're doing what they can't do. You're stepping away from the situation, really realizing that there's something wrong with that. And they, mm-hmm. they, they're they incapable of doing that for whatever particular reason, education, exposure, environment, whatever. Exactly. And um, so you're right, that whole, like, trying to figure out, okay, what's going on? Being aware of what happened to them and how could that be playing to the factor of who they are? And instead of going into and assuming that this person is a bad, horrible, terrible person that loves doing what they do, just I hate using this word, use the benefit, giving them the benefit of the doubt because I usually feel that no one benefits. But today talking with you, it shows me that you, you, it does. It do, do people do benefit because it's not always their fault. And people aren't always going to look at it from a fair analytical mind. Like some of us are talented to have and blessed to have. Mm-hmm. And uh, people listening to this are probably struggling with that, but you're doing a very good job of, of breaking that down and realizing that to be empathetic, you really have to understand where someone's coming back, coming from. And to really understand where someone's coming from, you have to be unselfish, like 100% unselfish. And it's very difficult because when someone that you love hurts you or betrays you or they hurt someone that you love, it's so hard to um, forgive them or give them a fair shake, so to speak. And to see that you're doing that is is absolutely amazing. And I want to speak about your mother being a superhero because nowadays we throw that term around so loosely, hero, hero, hero. But Uh, you have to let people know that the odds that your mother was going up against in Mexico with that type of culture and um, the the education and the odds being against her to really sacrifice herself to a certain degree for her, for her children, their future and your, be your, your health. That is, that is a hero because um, you were telling some, you were speaking of some statistics about in um, Mexico that the domestic violence rate is pretty high, right? Correct. Exactly. And and you and, and you touch a very important point. The odds for her to survive that it was it was a, basically a miracle. So basically, to just to let you know, uh, the United Nations uh, has rated Mexico as one of the most violent countries for women in the world. Um, so so just to let you know, 96 out of every 100 victims of domestic violence in Mexico are women. 96 out, out of 100 cases. And the worst part is that only 8% of those cases that are, for example, femicides. So femicides basically is uh, the definition by, uh, is the intentional murder of women because they are just women. And and and, and Mexicans in Mexico is where f- is famous the country for, for being very strong in, 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 in femicides. And so the problem is that only 8% of fe- femicides in Mexico are punished. Only 8%. Only eight percent. So, uh, and and the problem of this is that these femicides in Mexico are, are increasing, and and as you know, and maybe you heard this term, but in in in, in Latin America, in Mexico particularly, uh, we have what is called the machismo. Machismo is this culture about the, this male power. You know, the, the, this this idea of I am more powerful than, than women. And and we, we have it in our culture, like in our basically in DNA somehow. And you see and you hear it in the songs, in the in the music, in the type of with the way you dress, the way you talk to to the women. The way you dance, everything, right? Everything. And 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 of course this is this is in the whole world. This machismo exists also in this country. I know it's been now that we're going under this battle of of um with a white 
white supremacy and 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 the ongoing issues with with uh, with the black community with a uh, latino asian so like uh, all of that comes from machismo so when, when you talk about my mother being a superhero i believe she's a superhero invisible superhero because because she not only survived uh, and faced this bully that was her husband and 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 i'm telling you and i can be so specific right now in, in the podcast but what i witnessed as a child in terms of violence the fear like just just being afraid every single day as a child of getting being i don't know getting kidnapped or getting or, or i don't know like you know just to see all that level of violence and fear and and, and screams and you know and horrible things to see my mother facing that and 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 facing her family and di divorcing and also going on court and bringing me to the judge, wow. to to, uh, to all of that, so I could testify. And then after that, also winning that custody. The, like, the whole thing gave her the strength to then face the world, because then that was first stage of her life. But then she was a doctor, she was suddenly, she realized like, okay, I am going to study gastroenterology. So she studied that, but then she ended up becoming in the, in the world of men. She was the only woman, like, sorry, the only woman in this program and, and, and all men, uh, macho, uh, a lot of macho. And so she faced all her generation. She's been that first generation of women that are pushing against all this machismo in the science world in Mexico. And so she did that and then, and then she studied she realized like, you know, I need, I'm the fa I'm father and mother. I need to, I'm paying the lives of my kids and I don't have enough money to pay with what I'm, what I'm earning now as, as a gastroenterologist, because something to remember, doctors in Mexico, they don't earn as much as doctors in the United States. Uh, just to like the highest earning doctor in, in Mexico probably is, and I don't know exactly the statistics, but it's maybe in the middle range for a doctor here in the United States, like, or even yeah. less than that. So I even primary that. care doctors here learn, earn way more than wow. people with three specializations in Mexico. So it's just unfair in every sense. So so she was like, okay, I'm not I'm making enough money and my kids are going to high school, uh, sorry, to, to middle school. I have to pay for the school. So what should I do? So she she ended up applying for this scholarship, but the way to like basically is to study endoscopy in Japan, and but the way to get, earn that scholarship was basically to do this national exam that it was a three day exam in Mexico City with all the doctors and uh, intern uh, all the internal medicine doctors in Mexico City. So you're talking about hundreds, maybe thousands of doctors, and only three the best three high scores from all the exam will be the one with the scholarship to study in Japan. I don't know how, I don't know when she studied for that exam, but she, she got the scholarship. She was one of the three doctors from thousands of doctors that, that was the number one in the, in the, like in, in, the, in, the, in the exam. So some of the things that I realized that I was, my mother was a genius too. I said, like, what? Genius. Like, so she ended up moving to Japan by herself. So imagine after the divorce at the age of six, at the age of 10, we were living alone with our grandparents and my mother was in Japan. It was no, in the moment of no internet, no WhatsApp, no Zoom, yeah. no Facebook, nothing. Not even podcast was alive, I think. Yeah, like no. the notion no. of podcast didn't exist. So no. it was like like calling with her, like talking to her just for five minutes every 45 days. And it was like crazy expensive. And and, and, and she did all the sacrifice to, to be better in her career. So we, she could have more to sustain us, to give us a, a, a education. And, and she ended up after two years coming back from Japan, she learned, she learned how to speak Japanese, medical Japanese in three months. That was like insane and 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 then she came back and then suddenly we did high school and then she realized oh my goodness my kids are going to like, for college and i still make need, need to make more money i need to study, i need to study more so what, what else can i study okay i can study liver transplantation so she did that. And she did again the same exam. It was a national exam. Again, the same three-day exam, thousands of people, and she got it again. She got oh that scholarship to study in Hospital Clinic in Barcelona in, in the year 2000, in, in 1999. And so we ended up this time, because it was Spain and we could speak Spanish, to, to, we, we ended up living in Barcelona uh, when I was 14, 15 years old. And that changed our life. Like to witness this, to witness a mother that is being punched in front of your face when you're a child, and then witness a mother that is facing the world and succeeding and then through education through studying through that power of hope and god 
to earn those that scholarship in Japan, to see your mother living and crying every day in Japan because she misses her kids and nobody can understand her in Spanish. And suddenly wow. crying, crying, and then coming back, and then to suddenly earning another scholarship to live in Barcelona and move with her, and, le and then learn Catalan. Uh, there's a different language, uh, and then like wow, that like witness all of that's that. A, that's a wow. I wish I had an applause button in this thing. That's a <laughs> that's a wow. But there's another thing that while I'm saying wow to her, I'm thinking about the beginning of our conversation when you were saying you imitate your parents. Exactly. And um, we're talking about her brilliance. And that um, it's just amazing because you're following those footsteps. And you you going to Berkeley is, is that type of achievement as well. Berkeley is an extremely difficult school to go in. And you have to. And tell me if I'm wrong. You have to have a certain amount of talent <laughs> and ability. <laughs> yes. And if you're missing either one, forget about it. And and so, the amount of people to, to that, uh, that like, like the amount of people that is going to Berkeley like it took me ten years to make it to Berkeley ten years preparing myself for Berkeley like I remember I was in Spain when I heard for the first time uh, from Berkeley and it was through this music teacher he saw some talent in me and he said how serious you want to go with music and I told him okay well, I I will open the best music school in the world and he told me okay it's called Berkeley College of Music in Boston but forget I'm about sorry, it I'm sorry what age was this what age was this I'm sorry I was I was fifteen years old I was fifteen. Okay. And and this this teacher, he saw some talent in like I was playing guitar and composing songs. I was having the goal of composing 100 songs a year. So I was doing that. And then he saw that talent and he said, you know, how serious do you want to go with this? And I said, yeah, I, I want to become professional. And he told me about Berkeley College of Music. And he told me, but you know what, Alejandro, forget about it. That does, that's a place for Quincy Jones, a place for Pat Metheny, a place for Steve Bay, uh, Steve Bay, a place for Iris Smith, a place for, uh, you know, John Mayer, you know, all these yeah. black legends like, yeah all these names like all the celebrities but that's yeah. not a place for a mexican guy like this is not for you, you know, oh like, man i'm sorry i'm laughing but it's funny <laughs> it's funny i know i know i know but immediately i didn't care about anything else he said i didn't listen i just listened birthday college music and i stayed in my head and immediately that's when i committed to god and i said to god if you want me to go there i want to make that happen i want to behave accordingly and do whatever i need in my hands to make it there. So every single day for 10 years, and I don't know if that happens for everyone, but for 10 years, I was in my head telling this mantra and I'm telling myself, Alejandro, you are going to be someone before Berkeley and someone after graduating from Berkeley. So I was basically with that mantra affirming that I will be at Berkeley, that I that that's something that will be a possibility. Like I, I knew that was going to be ha happening. So for ten years, I modify. I didn't tell this to any human, and no one, my mother, no one knew about this. So I behave accordingly. So basically, I start taking. I went to high school, and then I went to college. And in college, I said, you know, I want to study music in the music conservatory. I need to prepare as a musician. So I went to the to the music conservatory in Mexico, playing classical guitar performance. So I learned how to read music, how to write scores, and uh, do, you know, piano, classical, like. All that very rigid thing, and at the same time, I said I knew I know how to. I need to have another career. If this doesn't work out really well, I need to have a backup. So I ended up studying another something that I love, another, another career that I love, that is film, television, and radio. So I ended up studying filming, the film, television, radio from Tech de Monterrey. So I basically I did both of them at the same time. Uh, uh, so I was going in the morning to one university in the south of my city from 7 a.m. to 1 p.m. and then driving all the way to the, to the north of the city uh, and then going to conservatory from music conservatory from 3 p.m. to 9 p.m. I did that since from like for seven years or something like that. Like it was from high school until I ended up finishing college. So for 10 years, I basically put myself into the position to make it there. And in 2009, 2010, I finally was ready to apply for Berkeley. I applied for Berkeley, did audition, and I got this, this, this news saying, Alejandro, welcome to Berkeley College of Music. You're accepted. Oh, and I was miracle i was feeling like wow it's happening but then another another thing happened in that same letter it says alejandro but we're not going to give you any scholarship and i was like what but i can pay sixty-two thousand dollars a year this is insane it's impossible we don't have that money and, and and i can do that how can i do this like and 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 then i have to try again so i did an again the audition 
And then I realized that the problem of me in that time is that I was classically trained. And in Mexico, they don't train you in the classical world. They don't train you to improvise music in jazz, for example. So I never heard jazz before. So when I was here, they told me, okay, let's improvise over uh, autumn leaves. One, two, one, two. And, 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 and suddenly oh, I... Oh, this, this is on in the audition? In, on the audition, in, in, in the audition. And I didn't know how to improvise music in that time. I didn't know. I didn't know how to improvise over... I, I knew how to read perfect music, how to play guitar perfectly. I... I my pieces were even very advanced technically more than the, the professors they were there studying that's what you were studying that was what i was studying i was preparing yeah. for that but i didn't know how to improvise <sighs> jazz i didn't know any of that i didn't know how to swing i didn't know bebop i didn't know any of that I, if, if it was for me like a different world like a, a japanese like a different language yeah. so i didn't know how to improvise unfortunately and and they got i got a new letter again saying alejandro you're welcome, like you're accepted at Berkeley, but with zero scholarship. So I said, it was 2010, and then immediately I was having the worst time in my life. I said, God, for 10 years I've been preparing for this. I've been, I've been working so hard. And now there's a war in my city with the, the drug cartels, and they're kidnapping people, killing people in the city in Mexico. I don't, I don't know if you heard that, but it was a drug cartels in my city for in the 2010 for one year. A lot of people died. Worst in the world. It was yeah. the worst thing in the world. And, and then suddenly I said, God, save me god like just help me like like i i asked for money for everyone in the organizations i couldn't get the money until my mother comes and said you know i i've been saving uh, all my retirement money uh, all my money i've been saving uh, that i've been saving i want to give it to you and that covers only one semester at berkeley <laughs> only one semester that's how expensive it was berkeley so it's like only one semester and said i'm willing to give it to you and 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 but also she also got some money from a company that she worked for 10 years that suddenly miraculously pay her so it was a mix of that and he said one semester and i said do you want to take it or not and i said oh my goodness is is december 2010 and the semester starts in two weeks i said okay yes I take it. I go. I go. I and I was having a girlfriend at that time, and 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 suddenly, I didn't know. But by saying yes, I cut, and I basically never came back to Mexico. I left Mexico forever, and ten years. That, that was ten years ago. So that decision was so important, and my mother helped me so much for that first semester. That suddenly, I was there in Berkeley at the age of twenty-five, sitting down, in in the Seven Haviland building almost crying and saying, God, I'm here. I'm here. It took me 10 years, but I'm here. You promised me this and I am here at Berkeley. I'm in, the, I'm in the building, I'm here, I'm touching the walls. And so I started praying every single day saying, thank you. And that's how I met my wife in the first day I, I came to Berkeley. The first day, the first day, the first minute I was there, she was in the, we were doing the line for the English exam and she was in front of me. And, 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 and she's from Italy, she's from Milan. And, and so, so that's how I met her and that's how my whole life changed. And that semester was so successful for me that I, was, I, did, I made it for the Dean set list. Uh, the dean's, uh, not set list, it's the Dean list. Um, I met, my, my grades were amazing and, and, and I started a group that is called Ubuntu that means I am because you are, is a, is a South African philosophy. And, and I started basically offering self-improvement type of encouragement to all the Berkeley students that were depressed, uh, that there's a lot of depression ah, going on at Berkeley for the, yeah, yeah. the amount of pressure that you find yeah, around there. Yeah. The stress is huge. So uh, suddenly that group became so successful that they gave me a scholarship. Uh, it's called the Achievement Scholarship uh, because for that first semester. So I got that scholarship and with the help of that scholarship, then my mother said, okay, maybe I can to help you. And we took it semester by semester. So my mother and the scholarship helped me to finish my, I, I ended up studying a dual degree, uh, a very hard combination as well as Berkeley that is music yeah. uh, production and art engineering with film scoring. So I did a dual major and uh, only three people graduated from that dual major um, and so so I, I graduated in 2014 and uh, with Jimmy Page Jimmy Page the Led Zeppelin guitar player gave me my diploma um, oh, back up one second back up one second I'm sorry for following you so closely mm -hmm. how many people did you say graduated from the from uh, that program so the program that I was doing was a dual major with music production art engineering and film scoring and we only graduated three three people so it was wow. How many people um, in that test that your mother took um, for qualifying for her? <laughs> it was all the doctors from internal medicine of the whole country. So and you're talking many, about hundreds of picked? many thousands. Yeah. How many people got picked? 
I don't know. <laughs> That's a good question. I don't know. Let's. It was, like, it was like three. I thought it was like three. The top three. Yes. Three yeah. Yeah. Three. Three people that made it. Yeah. It's like what a great, great connection. Yes, Milton. Thank you. Wow. Great revelation. It's true. Three. Three. Wow. You just created that link there. Uh, yes. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. It's very true. And uh, the reason why I'm listening to that the way I am is because the I know how difficult Berkeley is. I've talked to people that went there, and I know about the depression, and I know about yeah. suicide, and yes. all of those things. Yes. And that's just going after one major. So exactly. for you to do that with two majors, you mm. have to be an exception, like your mother, with the, the the way that she was taking those quizzes, those tests, and passing, and getting in the yeah. top top echelon. That's huge, and that's going back to that whole you you learn from your mother, you you your parents, you imitate, and you watch, and. When your mother exactly. was taking on those courses and going, she would just, oh, I need to do this. <laughs> she, exactly. She would, she would name something off that only 1% of the population Exactly, the exactly. Know. And then and just yeah. don't do it. It's amazing yeah. to do the same thing with Berkeley. The same exactly. exact thing. It's amazing. It really so is. That's, a, that's exactly the power that parents have in, yeah. in encouraging kids. Like, um And children like like that for me was not even like like every single person was telling me at berkeley like alejandro you're crazy doing the art engineering program is one of the most difficult but probably the most the difficult program at berkeley because very heavy like you have all the like you have to record uh, every night basically from uh, from 10 p.m or 6 to 6 a.m basically you have to be in recording sessions and then you have to go to classes at 9, at 9 a.m but i was doing that with film scoring that is also very complicated very challenging with you have to compose for orchestras you have to write and do MIDI mock-ups and create all these MIDI virtual orchestras that is very, it was very difficult. And, 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 but I knew it was my, it was my chance. I, I knew, you know, when you survive, you know, I, I was just thinking every day, like I survived the, I'm the 0.001% of people that survive a horrible experience of domestic violence. And, 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 and I'm also 0.001% that also have a mother that is a genius and a, a super, a super woman, a superhero. Yeah. And, 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 and I felt like I can just give up. There's not an option here. Like I, it's not even, I, so I never, that, that never came to Or, my mind. I, yeah. I never put excuses. Excuses were never part of my, 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 my dialogue. It was like, I don't care if I have to stay until 2 a.m. or 6 a.m. working and then going to class at 9 a.m. I don't care. I do it. And, 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 and I did that and I did it and I did it in three years. It was a five-year program and I did it in three years, the whole program. I took all the summer full semesters. I did it. I did three semesters every year for three years. So, so nine semesters in three years and and I ended up graduating in 2014 and 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 now I'm here like uh now I now I imagine all these skills that I put with the filming with uh with the photography graphic design that I have all these skills that I have with the music production composition so now I'm I'm here to say you know this is not for me I is my, my mother gave all her skills to save people from and this is an amazing thing people that were having liver failure. And, and so she was doing liver transplants. But guess what? Most of the time people have liver failure because they are alcoholic people, like they drink alcohol. So somehow she ended up saving those alcoholic people, the same people that affect her life. So, so for me, it was important to say, I have to give, I, I'm not a doctor, but I can still help people. So that's why as an artist, I felt like I have to focusing something to help those affected by domestic violence. And that's why I put together this self-respect project and, and show that I want to hopefully release next year, 2022. There is a live show that is going to include a lot of storytelling performance, projection mapping, and music, live music that I'm going to be performing. And everything around the, 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 how to overcome uh, the, all this domestic violence and also sharing data about how to improve our self-esteem and how to respect ourselves. And so it's, 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 a, it's a beginning of what I hope is going to be the beginning of my career in terms of, as a, show, as a social artist, artist and, and and of course i have a, my full-time job in a in a place that i love with all my heart that is Tufts university uh, i i love the place they're amazing and and but as a, as a as a social artist i still have the duty of not only having a nine-to-five job but actually now giving back uh, to the mexicans to the community to the community in boston in the united states the hispanic latino refugees women uh, people of color lgbtq plus folks all these people that are suffering most of them from domestic violence and particularly immigrants so as an immigrant in this country i have a lot of work to do and and yeah. and, and and that's kind of my goal to to change the history <laughs> and and improve that 
image of, you know, improve the, um, what Lauren once said is, and I, I think Lauren was saying it in a way that is, and let me, it's coming to me right now, is in the, um, I, 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 I believe in the importance of reimagining manhood by promoting gender equity and healthy masculinities. And I believe in my duty to help improve that. So, so that's why I'm doing all this. And I'm glad that you're doing it because you do your the uh, the purpose behind it, the intention behind it, um, is very powerful and mm -hmm. it's very it's very authentic. And you don't really get to find or interact with people that are so generally committed to what they're trying to accomplish and so selflessly. And luckily for us, um, you had the best example was your mother. You know what I mean? And her approach to um, to life and her approach and dedication to her kids and their education and It's inspiring. So you're, you're the perfect guy for this. <laughs> you know, I, I laugh sometimes when you, when you listen to someone's story and you, you hear all the horrible things that they were going for. I mean, we had a really good laugh about the chickens, right? Yeah, But me, exactly. and you, me and you both know that that sucked when it was going on, right? Yes, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. I, I really remember those, those those chickens, and I was actually afraid of them because they were actually defend like like people think like you just can't take the egg like that, but it's not. Like they come and hunt you like they're. That's why I was laughing so hard because people listening don't have no idea how hard that was. It's not you when you said hunting, you were serious. You know. What I mean? right now listening to this and he could still he could be chasing for his eggs in the morning you know <laughs> exactly. and, and to know that he could end up at berkeley one day yeah and that he could be doing work that could change other kids lives and that yeah it doesn't matter where you start it just matter. it just depends on what your intention is mm -hmm. and anything is possible and i love how you would talk to yourself and you said it and it's very powerful you said it. you didn't share it with any other human Um, you just kept it to yourself and you were so focused on it moving forward. I think some people, the reason they don't move forward is because they're too busy sharing their idea and exactly. what their goals are. Exactly. And they're more focused on the reaction of other people than they are in actually accomplishing their goals. Exactly. And um, to see you do it and to see that you had such a, your mother had so much tenacity to actually follow through. You're following the same exact steps. And mm -hmm. what I also think is really impressive is how you dealt I know you said 25 years of therapy, um, but you kept it so under control in that regard, you know, that the aspect of your father and his approach and what he's done to you, it's almost like that therapy, like you said, it didn't remove it, but you're, you're very much aware of it and you can deal with it in a much different, um, a different way, you know, where a lot of people are constantly fighting or they do something, they drink and there's that demon's right in front of their face. It's like you really had in that meeting with your father at 30, you really had some closure that really kind of like it seemed like it set you on a next path, the next part of your life, you know? Correct. Exactly. And that's what I needed to do. I needed to close that that circle. I, I, I Because he disappeared, basically. for So I never thought like... Um, I, I was always in my mind thinking like, okay, I believe he's alive somewhere. I believe he's somewhere. Like I was, I was believing in this fairy tale about like, you know, I'm going to see him one day and, and we're going to hug and everything's going to be perfect and, and, and we're going to forgive each other and everything's going to be great. And, and so I, I built that for all my, all my childhood, like for years and years and years until one day I, I realized like, you know, I felt like I need to move on. I need to. I need to move to the next stage of my life, but I'm not going to be able to do it after, like, if I don't, like, I need to face my father. I need to see him again. And, and, and if I don't do it, I'm just never going to move on. And this is going to stay always in my head about like, you know, reaching out to him or, or thinking about him in the way as, you know, as an illusion. I, I need to know who he is now. So I, I was, I, I was 30, as I mentioned, I was in Mexico giving a conference actually for uh, in the, in the um, music conservatory, because I also love to give all these conferences about self-respect. So I was talking about that and, and suddenly, um, I felt like, okay, I have extra days in my, in my city. 
I, I mentally remember perfectly how to get to he to that old house that we used to have, in, oh. that it was in a different region of my house, or my or my or my city. So I, I rented a car uh, and then I I drove there. And when I arrived there, I, I realized everything was different. Like, oh, okay, maybe it was this house. And then I saw this kind of grocery sh store there. So I went there. And, and asked this guy and said, excuse me, do you know this man? Like, have you heard about this person? Uh, and, and of course, because, you know, in Mexico, it's very dangerous with the drug cartels and kidnaps and stuff like that. So they were very scared, thinking that I will be, that I was someone else, uh, you know, from something bad. Or so. And so they, nobody wanted to speak to me. So, so the guy of the, gro the grocery store said, no, I don't know anything. I don't know. I can speak. I, I don't know anything. And, and he was very scared. But this woman, she was with her daughter. She was buying something in that store. And she raised her hand and said, we know him. Actually, we know this person. Actually, he rents like like our office. Uh, actually, he, like we work in his in his apartment, in his space. He's uh, he's our landlord or something. And I was like, wow, really? Uh, do do you have his cell phone or something like? So she gave me her his cell phone, and and that that day I called him, and I found myself actually calling him and, and talking to him and, and scheduling a a, a a call with him. Uh, sorry, a, a a moment yeah, face to face, yeah. and. And so, so it happened, like, uh, and he told me when I met him, he said, you know, Alejandro, I knew you were coming back and I knew you will be reaching out to me, but I think you came 10 years earlier. Like I was thinking you to be here at the age 40, not the age of 30. Uh, and, 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 and I told him, yeah, actually I'm saving 10 years of life. Ah. Like, <laughs> Like I'm doing it now. I'm like, is 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 why I have to wait until forty? Like, let's do it now. Like, let's face this. Let's close wow, this circle. That's powerful. That's yeah. very powerful. Wow. Yeah, we have just one life, one we chance. Do. We do. You know what? And the thing is, this is like, I know people listening to this have that same thing. There's a person that they should have a conversation with, but they're scared to. So my thing to you, if you could speak to that person, what would you say to them? Because you feel like. I don't know what you, how you looked or how you felt, but I know you're lighter after that conversation, even though it was when you had it when you were 30. You were much, you're much lighter after that. So it was worth it. So what would you say to someone that's struggling to have that conversation with someone that, um, let's mm. say, yeah, someone has authority over them, someone they love, someone they cared about, and they're just, yeah. they're just scared because of the uncomfortableness of that. What would you say to them? Yeah, it's a great question. I think uh, you have to, prepared for that conversation. And as I mentioned, it took me 15 years. So it was not like, a, I, it just happened. The thing of that, those conversations can go really wrong uh, in the way of like, you have, the only way you can have that conversation if you want things to solve and close circles is by going with that, uh, um, uh, with that empathy uh, as a, as a with, with a warm heart, basically. Like you need to be very aware that, that you already, that the problem is solved somehow. Like you, the, like the only way you can go there is knowing that you already solved the problem internally, that you already clarify it. Uh, so you already are more in the heart with the mindset of, okay, I wanna, you know, with more compassion, basically. Like you, you have more this heart of thinking like, you know, I understand now why things happen. I understand that this person is innocent. I understand this person is not guilty. I understand this person suffers things that I never suffered. And, 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 and I have that love and compassion. So that's the only way I would recommend to have these type of conversations because otherwise it can go in the wrong way. If you're not ready and if you still have that resentment, because resentment is one of the most toxic things that you can have. If you have that resentment already in their heart, that conversation can become a war again and can reopen all those demons and restart everything that you already somehow fixed and and that can become very aggressive and violent and again going that right. blaming and, so and, right. and, and, and can get really difficult so I would recommend to go into those conversations once you know you're ready fully ready in terms of like forgiveness like you're ready for like you're ready forgive that person forgave that person you're ready you're ready done from that aspect of like you're more in the in the mindset of compassion, in the mindset of understanding the big picture, and in the mindset of of let's just let's just say thank you because because of him I'm here alive. I have his genes. Uh, without him I wouldn't be here. So I want to say thank you because you you gave me life, and and I'm always going to be grateful with you because of that. So that level of love is what you need. Mm -hmm. So what I took from that, which is a lot, but just to summarize for people listening is. You really want to go in with a sense of closure to a certain degree, right? To a sense of closure and understanding and not seeking to get 
that closure understanding from the answers that this person is going to give you because you might not ever get them. Right. But if you go in with that closing, that closure and that empathy and that understanding, then yeah, you won't be able to tear open those wounds and you won't be, because you won't be seeking that. You'd be seeking to like basically say like exactly what you said, close that loop and be able to move on, which is very powerful. Mm -hmm. Thank you so, thank you so much for this, uh, this interview. So many people are going to benefit from it. I benefited from it. And um, I'm really excited about that project that you're going to be working on um, for self-respect. That's going to be huge. How can we keep updated with that? And how can we get a hold of you? Yes, um, absolutely. 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 So you can go to my website that is uh, jandrocisneros.com or you can follow me on Instagram or social media as at jandrocisneros in Facebook, also jandrocisneros in YouTube. Also, you just type jandrocisneros and you can find everything um, in Google. Just Google it and and you can find all my information. Please, I I will be more than happy to get in touch with if if your audience want to want to get in in touch with me, happy to, to connect with them and answer any questions or just have a dialogue with them, a conversation. Um, this is just like, I'm, I'm, it's, a, it's a celebration. I think like to have someone that that went through war somehow and survived that, uh, it's just a celebration. And I feel like all of us, we are in our own personal war and somehow war zones. In, in, so we wanna, I wanna help the, the community, the society. And as I mentioned, I wanna improve uh, social living. So that's my goal and I hope I can, awake other people's calls to do this job uh, because we need a lot of, we didn't we didn't we didn't like an army somehow of, 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 of social uh, activists and artists to 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 help uh, because we need help we need to love each other and and always approach the world with a warm heart that's the secret with a warm heart with a compassionate heart and empathy always understanding that that, that person has also a story and a background and that you don't know so so just to allow that yourself to say there's always two sides of the story and and maybe i'm not right and and and, and it's okay uh, but at the same time it's important to finalize uh, just to close with this to understand that the relationship you have with yourself is going to set the tone for the other relationships and any relationship you're going to have with, with in your life so care for yourself care the most important person in your life should be you uh, and i know sounds like the against everything that we talk about you know uh, in the world that everything that you see in the world about detachment and stuff like that um, but but i know it sounds like egocentric but I, I, the, the reality is that you are in charge of yourself you are the only one in the world that can take care of loving yourself a particularly saying stopping those violent thoughts no one can enter your head no one no police officer no 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 president of united states can enter in your brain and stop your violent self-destructive thoughts and behaviors so you have that role of taking care of your life your life is a universe you're a universal Cosm- like you're the highest expression of the universe. You are the highest miracle in the history. Everything we are, if you analyze it, is a miracle. Our hands, <laughs> our every element of our bodies, you're everything, right. everything. So we are in charge of the most important uh, role, job that is ourselves. So, so let's take care of that. Like we need each other. We need each other to to start doing that job. So don't forget about the importance of self-respect. That's I really thank you very much. Yeah. Andre, I look forward to having you back again. Absolutely, Milton. Absolutely. I would love to be back. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you for everything. Bye-bye. Bye, guys.